We're so glad that y'all are here with us. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Citadel Square. I just got a text from one of the other elders, and he said that uh, just singing the, that final song, uh, just imagine what that will be like in heaven one day. Isn't that incredible? Just to, to be able to sing those words, uh, praise the Lord, and uh, just it's hard to sing those things and hear just all the resounding voices in this room and uh, just not get choked up singing the, those words and then imagining just 10, 100, 1,000 fold the voices in heaven that will be singing those, those same words one day. So we're glad you're here with us today. My name is AJ, as I said. And uh, just we're really, really excited that you're here joining us. And so we would love for you to go ahead and open a Bible if you do. Have one there. You can also turn your Bible on. That's a new feature with Bibles. And so we are, we are jumping right in. We're in a series on 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Steve Welcome just said, we're really glad you're here. And I wanted to say the same thing. I wanted to say, we are really, really glad that you are here with us. We mean that when we say it. It's not just lip service. It's not just, uh, hey, awesome, high five, never talk to you again. We want to get in your life. We want to get to know you. We want, to get, want you to get to know the church. Uh, and so let us know that you're here. Fill out a connect card. Uh, go check out citadelsquare.com. Get to know somebody sitting around you. Uh, we want to help you get, get plugged into the life of the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we'll be. There should be a Bible around you. If you don't have a Bible or you're new to the Bible or want to use the same Bible that we're using and you don't have one, take one of those that are in the pew rack in front of you there. They are there for you. We want to get the Word of God into your life. We believe it is transformational. It will rock your world if you get in the Word of God. We believe that it is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So as you're turning there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 should have the page number around here somewhere. And when you get there, say, got it for me so that I know you're there. All right. All right. Just make it sure. Just make easy, easy now. All right. Just make it sure. All right. So, hey, as, you, as you've turned there, I want to I get you to think about... Uh, a time in life where you asked yourself a really simple question. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Maybe that was this morning, right? For me, it's every morning when I look at this mustache. I'm like, am I doing this right? Am I really doing this right? And my wife just keeps encouraging me. She's like, yes, babe, it is incredible. So... <laughs> I'm doing it right, guys. I'm doing it right. Uh, I felt the tension in the room about the mustache, so I figured I'd just, I'd just ease the tension, okay? I got a clap for the Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, I don't even know if we're going to get back into 2 Corinthians after that. All right, so am I doing this right? So during my early 20s, this is, this is difficult for me to confess, guys. So during my early 20s, I asked myself, am I doing this right every time that I would encounter ratchet straps, okay? 
So by the laughter, I, I, I have some brothers in arms here. I can tell. Okay. So if you, do you know what a ratchet strap is? What it, it, does anyone know how to define how a ratchet strap works? Yeah, magic, right? All right, so everyone knows what a ratchet strap is, but you weave some things through some teeth and some tension happens and then bam, all right? I don't know how it works either. And I didn't know how it worked for many, many years, okay? So here's what ended up happening is I would get them tied in knots. I would just fail miserably. I would always do this in private. I would never do this in public because... I'm a phony like the rest of you guys, all right? So I would never do this with an audience. But then I just started, started figuring out how to masquerade around this thing. And I just started really uh, investing in bungee cords, okay? And I mean like an embarrassing amount of bungee cords. Like you need eight bungee cords for that little section. You could just use one ratchet strap. Yeah, but what had happened was I had thrown all my ratchet straps away. So I would just be able to say, yeah, I got a bunch of bungee cords as a uh, Christmas gift. And so I'm stocked up on bungee cords. Who's got time for ratchet straps? Am I right, guys? So you get where I'm saying, where I'm going here. And then one day something just clicked. And I thought, you know what? I've got this project. It needs to be ratcheted down, whatever it was. And so I had this profound thought that I should, without any distractions, sit down and read the directions on the ratchet straps. And, and I studied them. I looked at them. I practiced, right? I, I wove them through. I ratcheted them down. I, I got it. I got it going, right? And then I took the directions out there with me to the project. And guys, guess what? This story has a happy ending. I conquered the ratchet straps that day. All right? But it humbled me. It humbled me in a profound way that anytime I still do use ratchet straps to this day, I take the directions with me. Because I always have that question of, am I doing this right? So I walked away humble. Now I tell you this because we have things in life that are much more important than ratchet straps where we ask that same question. Am I doing this right? You see, deep down in each of us, there, there's a battle. We battle these feelings of failing, faltering, and being a phony because if we are honest with ourselves, we don't just want to skate by in life, right? Especially in the things that are important. We want to succeed. We want to thrive in that stuff that really matters. And so when we think of our fellowship with God, our relationship with God, the, that thing that is of the utmost importance, and even in the context of our passage this morning, this is also true when it comes to our ministry. So our biblical passage today, as we continue in our series in 2 Corinthians, will be verse, uh, chapter three, verses one through six, and it will cause us to see the importance of investing in the lives of others and looking to God for our sufficiency and our confidence. That's what we're gonna see in the text today. And so I want you thinking about this big idea as we leave here today is that God makes us sufficient through our insufficiencies. 
God makes us sufficient through our insufficiencies. So ask yourself this question. Do I want to focus on what's of the utmost importance or do I want to be impressive? Do I want to focus on what's of the utmost importance in life? What really matters? What really matters on this side of heaven and for eternity? Or do I want to be impressive? See, we're going to see two things from in the text today. Paul's sufficiency confirmed in, in people and Paul's sufficiency confirmed by the Spirit. Let's look at the text and then we'll pray. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters, our letter of recommendation written on our, in some translations, that's your, hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse four, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is written by you, and therefore it too gives life. God, we are humbled by the fact that we aren't sufficient in and of ourselves, God. Our sufficiency comes from you. Let us leave singing that. Let us leave thinking that. Let us leave knowing that in our hearts that we can find our sufficiency in you and in you alone. Let your word come alive to us this morning. We know it's alive whether we see it as alive or not, God, but it is alive and let us walk out of here knowing that. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Take a look at verse one there. Verse one, a couple questions right out of the gate. Here's what's happening. Paul is writing to, if you haven't been here with us, Paul's writing to this church that he's been foundational in, right? He's, he's been a, a central figure in this church and he's writing back to them. There's been some exchanges, there's been a visit and he's writing back to them again. And he's letting them know about his sufficiency, his accreditation, if you could say, his certification to be a minister, to be an apostle. And he's telling them this in the first couple of chapters. He says, I'm sufficient because guess what? I've suffered. I've suffered not to pat myself on the back. That wouldn't make sense. I've suffered. Why? Why have I suffered? I've suffered for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of you, Corinthians. This is why we've suffered. This has been our ministry. Well, guess what? Now he's got a couple questions coming to him in, at the end of, of, uh, of chapter two there. And he asked this question, which we're gonna come back to because our section here is kind of the answer to it. In 216b, he says, who is sufficient for these things? 
Who can actually do this kind of ministry? Who's sufficient for these things? And then he comes down in verse one and says, asks a couple other questions. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now, what's the answer to that? Is the answer, is the answer blatant? It's pretty obvious if you, if you start to look through the text. The answer is no. We're not beginning to commend ourselves. We're not doing that. All right? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So now he brings up this letters of recommendation. Why does he do this? So if you rewind the tape a little bit back to verse 17 in chapter 2, Steve hit on this last week, of you got these, these swindlers, these peddlers, these hucksters is what he calls them. They're also retailers in the market. So these retailers in the market, they were not just like working in a store selling a quality product at this time in the ancient world, okay? What these types of retailers were doing, they were swindlers. They were the peddlers, okay? That's what he's comparing them to. And he's saying, now that's what these false apostles, these false teachers and ministers among you, that's what they're like. They're coming to you and saying, we need money. We need this. That's why Paul goes back and says, I, we preached for free. Why would we suffer? Why would we preach for free? Why would we do these things if we were trying to swindle or, or huckster you, right? Why would we do that? So that's who he's comparing them to right now. And then the answer to this question, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? What's the answer to that question? So the answer to the first question was no. What's the answer to this question? I couldn't hear you. You guys are kind of, there's two options to this. It's yes or no. What's the answer to this question? No, with confidence. We're going to talk about confidence in just a second. Anybody else no with confidence? Hold on, that's confusing because you guys don't know if I'm saying no, K-N-O-W, or no with confidence. Anyone else N-O with confidence? Anyone else? Oh, you guys. It's no. Yes, that's the answer. The answer is no. Paul doesn't need the, this letter of recommendation. Why does Paul not need the letter of recommendation? He's saying these guys that come before him use these letters. And the letters in, in and of themselves are not bad. So the letters, the, the closest illustration to today would be like an, a, an ordination, a certificate of ordination is what he's kind of referring to. Maybe even that's where some of this lineage comes from. So I have a certificate of ordination from a church where I was first ordained when I was 24 years old or so. Okay, that's where my ordination came from, is that church. And it says that they, they tested me and they, they, uh, they basically vouch for my calling. That's what it says on an ordination. And so what these peddlers would come around doing is they would take a letter of recommendation from someone, whether it was valid or not, whether it had Paul's name signed. See, we're, we're of the ministry lineage of Paul. But what, they were, what he's really getting at is these peddlers, these false apostles, they're gonna want a letter of recommendation also from you once they leave you. They're gonna continue this. See, this was, see, we did good ministry here at, in Corinth. And so that's what, that's what is, is he's hitting at here. And he's saying, I don't need a letter of recommendation. You may ask, well, why not? Let's see the answer. 
Check out verse 2 there. He says, and this, is, this, this first word here is where all kind of the action in this, in this first paragraph stems from. So he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. And I said when I, whenever I was reading there, uh, some manuscripts, you see the footnote. If you have a little, little uh, footnote there, it may say, on, or on your hearts to be known and read by all. So all the action from in this paragraph comes from that you yourselves. So it's pointing to the answer. The answer is people. Paul is getting his sufficiency here, right, from God working in the lives and hearts of people. And who are those people in this example? The people in this example are the church at Corinth. These people who have been transformed by the message, the, the declaration of who Jesus Christ is, who he is, who he said he was, who, what he did on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He was on the cross. He died. He was buried, just like we sang about Joseph's tomb. Jesus went into Joseph's tomb and he came back out of it resurrected from the grave, conquering sin, fear, and death. So that's what Jesus did. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you yourselves, that good news that transformed you, you are our living epistles. You are our living letters. You are our living recommendation. I've got something better than the letter. I've got something that's alive. Isn't that amazing to hear? He says, I've got something that is alive and it's you. Look at, he's not saying look with, like the world tells us, look within yourself to find all your confidence. He's not saying that. He's saying, look at your transformational life. Something that's, that you didn't drum up in it of yourself. You didn't muster up the strength to figure this good news by yourself. It was proclaimed to you and it was proclaimed to you by me. And he says, this is good news that happened to you. This good news, it came to you. It was delivered to you. It was, it's not you in and of yourself. It happened to you. It got delivered to you. It was good news. And now you yourselves are our living proof. To be written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Have you ever heard the phrase, you may be the Bible, you may be the only Bible that some people read. Have you heard that? Have you heard that phrase? I think they probably draw it from this verse, right? That quote, I'm not gonna bash that coffee mug. So you don't have to like throw that one out, right? If you have that coffee mug. But here's what it's saying. It's, it is saying that, that some people are never going to open this book. So think about your life. Consider your life. And how you can have the, the confidence and the sufficiency to minister. Not by looking in, in, within, within, like a lot of self-help books say to do. But looking to God who's going to unravel how Paul gets his sufficiency to minister. And then we can look to Paul's example for application. 
So it's written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So he's saying, you, you are these living epistles. Walk as you go, as you go throughout Corinth, as you go throughout Charleston, you proclaim this good news. You proclaim who Jesus is. That's a pretty big responsibility to bear, isn't it? That's a big response. That's why we circle back to this question. Am I doing this right? How can you have that confidence? How can you make sure that you're competent and sufficient to do this? Paul has an uncanny confidence. And he's looking to instill that also into others. Now he has a particular call that we'll get into in a second. Of He's an apostle, right? He's this mediator of the spirit. He is this particular person that was called and set apart for a particular work in a particular season in the life of the church, the life of redemptive history. But it applies now to all ministers of this new covenant. So then verse 3 says this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. So he says, you are this kind of epistle. And he's, he's confident, God has used me. He doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't go back up to, he, to, uh, to say, I, I, it's not this false humility. And it's also not pride in Paul. He's not saying like, look, look at me. I saved you, okay? Get in line. He's not saying that from a prideful perspective. He's also not saying like, oh me, little oh me, I did nothing. He's saying God used me, but glory to God. God used me in your life. Thanks be to God for that. And he has a clear confidence about it. And so we see here and it's not this pride. It's not this false humility. I didn't make you a Christian, Paul says. But God did use me to help transform your life. Look at, look at this, these, uh, this passage here. It says in verse 3 that you are a letter from Christ. So who's the author of this letter? We're going to do a little bit of a, a chart here. Who's the author? The author is Christ, right? So uh, the, Christ has written this letter. Christ is the author. And he says, delivered by us. So this instrument, this instrument that has been delivered, it's been delivered by Paul. And then the ink. Isn't it interesting that he mentions the ink? He says, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. So you could say it was written with the ink. The, the spirit is this ink. Because it wasn't written with actual ink that we're aware of. And then the paper. The paper, the human heart of the Corinthian Christians. It says not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And you see these, these passages remind us of a couple passages in the Old Testament that are referenced here. In Jeremiah, 
chapter 31, in verse 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. He's going to write it on their hearts. And I, will make, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit will be put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so Paul is, is mentioning this here, words that they would, they would recognize, words that would be recognizable here. He's saying no more hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. And so this letter of recommendation idea, and now this, he's, he's, he's got these living letters, why he's asking these questions of, do I need these do I need these commendations from you? Do I need to, a, a letter of recommendation? This section, these first couple verses are like if you had a traumatic health event, right? You experience this traumatic health event, the EMTs, the nurses, the doctors, the hospital staff, they're all, they all help you get restored to full strength. You you're discharged, you're healthy, you're good to go. It would be like you coming back to the hospital and saying, let me see your qualifications. I, I, I know you transformed and you saved my life. I was, I, was, I was in dire straits here and I'm appreciative of your work, but can I see your, your medical degree? Can I see your qualifications? Can I see your certifications? And that's what Paul's saying is you yourselves on your hearts of flesh. That's where this evidence is from. Not, not just my sufferings, but you yourselves. Let's look at, let's look at the, the second paragraph there. Paul's sufficiency is confirmed by the Spirit here in verse 4 through 6. So Paul starts with confidence. And he says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. You see, Paul, his, his self-confidence has been demolished. My question to you would be, has your self-confidence been demolished? Are you still looking to be impressive? by your own strength. Do you remember Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews? I'm the best of the best, law keeper of law keepers, Pharisee of Pharisees. No one could match me. What he's saying when he says that, he's saying, yeah, this, this law, I had it memorized better than anybody. I could keep it. I was good. And on his Damascus Road experience, after persecuting Christians, what happens? His confidence in himself and in his own works, it got crushed. It got demolished 
When you hear people sharing their testimony and they say, I came to the end of myself, that's what that means. Paul came to the end of himself on the Damascus Road. He met Jesus. He knew that, that Paul and his law keeping, Paul and his own works, Paul and his, his, his confidence that puffed him up, it, was, it, had, it had to get crushed. And Jesus crushed that. And there are evidences in Paul's life, some suffering, some thorn in the flesh, of graces that, that Jesus would provide him to keep reminders around Paul of this. He would keep those reminders uh, to keep Paul from trusting in himself too much. I want you to depend solely on me. I want, I'm gonna, that, that water that you're swimming in, Paul, that's, it's not deep enough. We got to go out to some deeper water because you could, you, you know, you could still touch there, right? You could still touch. You're not trusting in me. Your, 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 your dependence, it's kind of on me, but it's more on you. We need to get you to a place of desperation. You ever been there? Don't you want to live there? Don't you want to live desperate for Jesus? Don't you want to live a, a life that is dependent and desperate for Christ? That's what Paul is saying. I've got to be there to minister. I've got to be there. And you called ministers, Christians of the new covenant, you've got to get there too. But it's not something that, all right, well, what, am I doing this right? What do I do? It's something that happens to you. Jesus wrecks your life in the best way possible. It's prayers that you can pray to say, God, take me to the end of myself. I want to be solely focused and dependent and desperate for you, Jesus. That's what it means when Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. My confidence is in God. My confidence. I know what Christ has accomplished. I know who Christ is. I know him. I know him. That's what he wants you to be able to confidently say. I have met and know Jesus Christ. I know him. I'm confident in that. I'm confident in who he is. I'm, I know who I am. I know who I am. And I don't want to be like the Pharisee. I don't want to be in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I don't want to see, I don't want to be the person who says, thank God that I'm not like that person. I want to be the kind of person like the tax collector who says, a wretched sinner like me. Save me, Lord. Save me. In verse 5 there, Paul is kind of continuing in verses 5 and 6 with this, this illustration of, of the stone and the tablets and the, and the letter and the new covenant. And he's, he's, he's running this thread. So he goes, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. 
So remember, he's going to backtrack back up to 2.16 where he says, Who is sufficient for these things? And Paul answers the question. Remember the first two questions in in verse 1, the answers were no and no. We're confident in that, right? Everybody? Give me a thumbs up if you're still trapped. There we go. All right, you're confident. Like two people were confident 20 minutes ago. So I'm just checking. All right. Now, when, when he asks who is sufficient for these things, Paul gives the answer here in verse five. Who is sufficient for these things? Do you know who's sufficient for these things? God is the incredible Sunday school answer. Right? But Paul is actually saying, think about the context of verse 4. Confident in, in, G, in Jesus through God, right? Confident. He's confident through Christ toward God that he is sufficient for these things. Paul himself. That sounds a little arrogant just saying it, doesn't it? Man, I thought you said, but think about the context here. Paul's saying... Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Now, who's sufficient for these things? Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency. So he comes back in the second part of that that sentence and answers it. Our sufficiency, so we're sufficient. Our sufficiency is from God. God has made Paul sufficient. He's called him out for a very particular thing. He has called Paul to be this Apostle, the church planting apostle, to reach the Gentiles for Christ. And so he is sufficient. Here's how he is sufficient he is sufficient through his insufficiencies that we've talked about, right? Paul needed to come to the end of himself. He needed to, to quit thinking about this law keeping, this law way of living, right? He had to. His, his confidence in himself had to be demolished. And it's, it's this passage reflects the calling of Moses. So when Paul would know this, and some of his audience would know this, because when they translated, right, when, they have, when, when the Hebrew Bible is translated to Greek, it reflects this in the language. And so this calling, they use some of the same words for sufficiency, Right? in there. And so this calling of Moses is reflective in Paul's calling. Paul's not saying I'm a prophet like like Moses, but in the same way Moses mediated the law to the people, Paul's going to mediate the spirit to the people. And so what happens here is in Exodus chapter 4 Moses is called in verse 10. And what does he say? I'm not I'm I'm I can't I, it can't be me. Do you remember what Moses' insufficiency was? His speech, right? His speech. And so God, by his grace, does what? He makes Moses sufficient. And then prophets and their insignificance. You can think of a few maybe. The military insignificance of Gideon. God makes him sufficient by his grace. The sin of Isaiah. God makes him sufficient by his grace. This continues with the youth of Jeremiah, the timidity of Ezekiel, and now we see it in the brokenness of Paul. Paul's insufficiencies 
God uses those things to shape Paul to then reach others. So whatever you may see in your life as a insufficiency, as a hurdle, as a I can't share the gospel, God is using some of those things. Now the ways he used Paul's particular insufficiencies were particular to Paul. So don't just say, I'm the new apostle Paul. You're not. Chill out, okay? But there's application here. There's ways to see that God is using events and things in your life to shape who you are and how you can be used for him. And then in verse 6, as we put a bow on it here. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So he's introducing this new covenant language, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You see, this has been a passage that has been uh, hyper-spiritualized. You're like, duh, because it has the word spirit in it, AJ. Ding, 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 you get a cookie after service, okay? But here's what, here's what I mean by that, is the, the reading of this text has been, people have made a case for, well, that's saying the literal reading of the word is not good. Because see, the letter kills. So don't read the Bible literally. Read it spiritually. That's not what this is saying, okay? That is not what this is saying. That's been a proof text to, to make that case. What this is saying is... This letter-spirit contrast is a contrast between the law. Yes, it is between the law. Most people will say it's between the law and the spirit. See, the law is bad, bad law. No, it's between the law without the spirit and the law with the spirit. See, Paul mentioned several times throughout his writings that the spirit did have value. It, the, the law did have value. It just didn't have the spirit all right, because Moses, the calling of Moses, he's there to mediate to his stiff-necked people this law. They couldn't keep it. Well, guess what? Now, this letter, it can be kept because of the Spirit. The Spirit is the thing that gives the law life. It gives the law life. You are not grafted in to the family of Jesus by keeping the law. Hear me on that. You demonstrate that you have been adopted and grafted into the family of Jesus when you keep the law. It's, you demonstrate that I am his. I belong to him. Why? Because I want to keep his commandments. I want to keep his word. And when I don't, guess what? I'm a repentant person with a heart of flesh. I come running to the arms of Christ. I come running to the arms of my God. That's what this is saying. Because here, look at this. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Do you remember last week when we were talking about the aroma of Christ? Look up in that paragraph. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Hear me on this. Even the gospel without, without the other person having the spirit of God is death. 
Even the gospel is death. It smells of death to people without the spirit. That's what he's saying back there. And then he's continuing this thought and he's saying the law, the law without the spirit, it kills. The letter itself kills, but he uses a different word. Not, he doesn't use law, he uses letter. And he says, even the letter without the spirit kills, but the spirit gives life. So the letter, the law with the spirit, it too gives life. So, what does that mean? What do we, what, where do we land here? As we think about God, our, our sufficiency in and through our, we're, we're, we're totally insufficient. I'm nothing without you, God. I, I struggle with that and I battle with that and I think about that and I, and we have this, this passage here that ends with, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The, the spirit is the life of the new covenant. It's the life of this new covenant ministry. It's, it's the thing that gives us the sufficiency to go and do the work of ministry. The Spirit gives life. In, in John chapter 6, verses 63, if you want to turn, verse 63, if you want to turn over there for just a second. John 6, 63. Jesus says this, to his disciples. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And so Jesus here is telling his own disciples, telling, telling people around him that saw him. He's using this same kind of language. The Spirit gives life. And so as we, as we think about the gospel, as we think about what Jesus has accomplished, this same Spirit that, is, that gives life to this word, this word, the Spirit of God that wrote this. We can trace the Spirit's work all throughout this text. The Spirit wrote this on the hearts of humans. He writes it on those people that are around us. He writes the gospel on the hearts of those who, who are our letter, uh, letters of recommendation. You're a letter of recommendation for someone else as well. You're a living epistle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about being empowered by the Spirit, being, uh, being an instrument that God is going to use in this. We think about how we are to demonstrate the Spirit's activity in our life. We demonstrate that we have been rescued by Christ as we trust in Him, as we, as we, as we, as we lean in to where God is, is leading us. And so it's my, it's my hope that our confidence, our sufficiency would be in Christ alone as, as Paul is mentioning here. And so the Spirit, Spirit gives life. 
And so I'm just so, so, uh, so thankful that, that God has done this work in my life. I know, uh, I know that as I think about this text, the letters of recommendation, the Spirit of God is writing. It just, it, it makes me a little bit emotional here as I'm, as I'm thinking through this text. I'm sorry, forgive me for a second. We are living proof. We are living proof, just like these, these Corinthians were living proof that the gospel is at work in lives. We are living proof of that. You are living proof. People that you're investing in are living proof of the gospel of Jesus Christ working in lives. That's why Paul is saying here, people and the spirit are of the utmost value. Invest in people. Invest deeply in people. People will, will disappoint you. They will, they will burn you at times. You will think it's not worth it. You will, you will be like Paul at times toward the Corinthians, thinking, why am I even doing this? These people are letting me down. And you will be like that to people at times. Don't think you're not above that. But here's the truth of this. You are, you, you can invest in people. people. People are worth it. Invest the gospel deeply in people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. I thank you that God, we, we can see evidence, we can see living proof of, of your work in people's lives. We can see the transformational work of the Spirit in our, in our own lives, God, and we're thankful for that, we're humbled by that, but we also see it in the lives of others. God, we pray that each of us would be letters of recommendation to those who have invested deeply in us, and that and that we too would have many letters of recommendation go out from us. So Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that the Spirit itself gives life. The Spirit of God, your Spirit, the Spirit himself gives life. And we're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.